Get ready, loosen those vocals up, Tubbs. Here it comes. An Australia without rugby league is not Australia. There's McCabe Diva, a nation worse for a hero. Freeman's got work to do here. Watch out for Kuro! Hello and welcome back to the Crowd Catch. We're stoked to have you with us. We have plenty planned for today. It is absolutely going off in the world of sport at the moment with the Olympics, Rugby League, AFL getting down to the pointy end of the season. There is so much to talk about. I hope you've been enjoying the Olympics. The Aussies are on fire. We got set up beautifully by a wonderful performance in the pool. And we have some great medal chances coming up. Boomers, the hockey roos, our volley, our beach volleyballers are knocked off the number one seeded team. It's absolutely going off. I'm loving the Olympics. I'm sick of the TV telling me to, am I still watching every every hour? Like, yes, I'm still watching. But before we talk about that, let me introduce my co-hosts, Jack Howard and Zachary Gates. How you going, boys? Doing well, mate. It's um, I think Jack could agree with me in that um, I've been... ODing on the Olympics, uh, which you do every four years or five years in this case, and it's been fantastic. I can't get enough of the drug. Oh, how good has it been? How are your thumbs, Gatesy? I counted about 18 tweets from you last night. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, well, look, Sydney's in lockdown. There's there's not much to do, is there, than sit in front of the TV, watch the Olympics and tweet. It really has come at a perfect time, and uh, I think a lot of people and, and uh, full credit, a lot of journalists are even coming out and saying we were wrong. Um, the Olympics has gone off seemingly without a hitch so far and couldn't have come at a better time for Australia. And I think uh, the whole nation, particularly those locked down at the moment, are riding the highs of these gold medals. Uh, there's no better drug than watching the Aussies get a gold. Yeah, I know, it's brilliant to watch, isn't it? I was up till midnight last night watching the hockey roos into the boomers, into our volleyball. It was it was great. I was loving every second of it. Oh, and, and three wins. Um, and Nick Kay, uh, obviously we had him on the podcast two weeks ago. Have you found yourselves watching out for him on the court that little bit more? 100%. He's a gun. <laughs> His birthday yesterday. What a way to win. Um, uh, sorry, what a way to celebrate your birthday then with a 38-point quarterfinal win. Yeah, it was massive, that win by the Boomers. And they are looking red hot coming into a big matchup against the USA. But look, why don't we get cracking? Why don't we get into it? I'll kick us off with what caught my eye. It is, of course, Olympic theme this week. And what caught my eye was one of the one of the greatest moments of the Olympics. There's been plenty, but I absolutely love this one. It was when the Fijian Sevens team beat New Zealand to win back-to-back gold at the Tokyo Olympics uh, uh, last week. The entire nation of Fiji just erupted with this. And it couldn't have come at a better time for Fiji. At the moment, they have the highest per capita COVID infection rate in the world. Um, They're really struggling in Fiji, but the entire nation would have stopped to watch watch this match. And I think that's what the Olympics is all about. Um, But what caught my eye in particular was how they celebrated winning gold in true Fijian fashion. Have a listen to this. Oh, 
Yeah, I just love those Fijian hymns at any sporting event, and that one could be my favourite. They're just great. What a moment. And it's always good for the Australians. If, if you're knocked out by a team, it's always good when that team goes on and wins. But even the story, Jimmy, that came out that they uh, hitched a ride on a cargo plane to get there. Yeah, I know. They hitched a ride on a cargo plane sitting next to fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant story, everything they've gone through to get there, even the individual stories of many of the people competing growing up in Fiji. Um, just to be an Olympian now and back-to-back gold medalist is great. Yeah, unreal one. Uh, look, for myself, it, it's so hard to go past our swimmers. Uh, so many incredible moments in, in the pool. Um, so I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Uh, it would be hard to signal uh, and identify a certain one, but I thought I'd give them a shout out. But for me, the moment of the Olympics so far uh, is Jess Fox. Um, and I think it was made all the more better by the fact that um, we all... Uh, our, all of our hearts split. You know, I think a whole nation felt her heartbreak when uh, she didn't get over the line in the C1 final or the K1 final, I should say. And then to watch her two days later go out and win the C1 final with her dad in the commentary box, her mum and her sister by her side. Uh, that was just a, a moment I'll never forget. And uh, to me, that's the moment of the Olympics so far. Mate, that performance also paved the way for one of the greatest tweets I think I've ever seen from... Um from the grade cricketer. <laughs> Did you see that when the grade cricketer said, I like to think that my dad's always sitting at home commentating on my games. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Well, um, it would be very short lived for my dad. Um, it, majority of what he'd be talking about is me walking out and back. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Carmen, how many times over the years has Jack told us about the hat trick he once took? Oh, mate, too <laughs> many, too many. <laughs> Tell all the listeners if you'd like. Anyway, before we go down that path and make Jack's head bigger than it already is, um, what caught my eye was Patrick Tiernan, uh, the Aussie long-distance runner uh, who competed in the 10,000 metres in Tokyo. He was um, supposed to compete in the 5,000, but pulled out of that in the end because of um, what he went through in the 10,000 metres. But he really struggled over the last 400 metres, particularly over the last 100 metres. He was staggering all over the place. Um, He was clearly really affected by the oppressive conditions in Tokyo and he actually collapsed and face planted on the track. Um, it was, it was really hard to see. I was shocked. Um, but in true Olympic style, um, he was showing the Olympic spirit and the Aussie spirit. He got back up, he staggered to the line. He, he looks like one of us trying to get home from the pub at three in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> but he managed to get through to the line. And for that, he got endless rounds of applause. No, it was a pretty awesome moment and uh, so much heart and ticker on show then. And obviously his was due to extreme fatigue, Gatesy. But I'll tell you one thing I've noticed about this Olympics is the amount of stacks. I mean, obviously skateboarding's come in and it produced more stacks and tricks. But um, the amount of crashes we've seen on the running track, uh, we saw a BMX rider ride full pelt into an organiser. Um, we, we saw an Australian two nights ago lose his handlebars and face first into the velodrome. I can't remember seeing so many stacks at an Olympic Games. Yeah, there have been some stacked fields. There have been some really heavy fields um, in the in the track events. So, yeah, obviously that's a factor. There was um, 
Um, a woman from the Netherlands who's actually shooting for the treble in the 1500, 5000, 10,000, which hasn't ever been done in Olympic history. She fell over um, with almost 400 to go, with about 380, 390 meters to go. She fell over, um, but managed to get back up within probably 200 meters. She had caught the lead pack and then she just kept going and shot ahead and won her heat. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. There was an Aussie in the race and she was looking like she was going to come in the top three, but then that Netherlands chick just came back and took it off her. Now, Jimmy, you mentioned at the uh, top that obviously our basketball is looking good going into a, a huge game for them, as to our volleyballers and our hockey our, uh, hockey players. The Kookaburra is through to a gold medal match. So unreal in all those three fronts. But before we get into them, uh, we... It's almost like the elephant in the room because we kind of do have a rule on this podcast that we don't mention things that are going to happen the day of. But Gatesy, I think this is too big not to. Uh, Peter Bull, uh, yeah. how excited are you to watch him run tonight? And regardless of what happens, how big is his achievement to make it for Australian athletics? Well, I'll, ask, I'll answer the second leg of that question first. How big an achievement is to put things into perspective Um Obviously, he's shooting for gold medal. But first things first, this achievement in itself, he's become um, the first Australian to make, the first Australian male to make an 800-meter final at the Olympics since 1968 in Mexico City when a bloke by the name of Ralph DeBell did it. Um, Ralph DeBell is actually the last Australian male to win um, individual gold on the track. Um, that's, of course, what Peter Boll is... Um, is shooting to do. I, th I think he'll have his work cut out for him trying to win gold. Um, his two main rivals have quite comfortably better personal best than him, but I think he's a big medal shot, and even that would be absolutely massive. Yeah, we've got another couple hopes. Um, Lyndon Hall and Jessica Hull, they look both um, really good in their, their heat matches into the semifinals, and um, i tell you what, one that I'm sure peaked all of our ears over the past week was Rowan Browning. How, how incredible was that? Seemingly out of out of nowhere. Like, didn't expect coming into this that we'd have an Aussie in the semi-final, let alone winning his heat against Johan Blake. Uh, Johan Blake. Um, that was incredible. And how about the haircut on him as well? It did look good. I, honestly, when I have kids, I, I'm going to give them a mullet before every winter. Honestly, <laughs> like, there's, there's got to be some science behind mullets and speed. Makes you 10% faster. <laughs> Yeah, and oh, he's a character, isn't he? Like he not only flew in in um, lane one, no less, but um, the interview he did on Channel Seven after, um, saying that you know he was shitting his pants when he had to look at the when he had to look at the heat, and um, you know, Johan Blake wouldn't know who he is, and yeah, you know, he's he wouldn't have helped his handicap for the stall gifts next year. He had some he had some great one liners. I loved it how he signed off by vowing that there wasn't a, a Shani in uh, Tokyo that night that was safe. Uh, fantastic to see that he's enjoying himself. Um, some awesome moments there. The Boomers, for me, uh, last night, they were so good. Obviously, this American team is going to be tough. And we're on a tough side of the draw, to be fair. Um, Argentina, America and Spain were probably our three biggest threats coming in and we finished top of our pool and still ended up on the same side of the draw of all three of those guys. But I think we're a real shot at them. I really do. Obviously, it was well documented that we beat them in a warm-up game in America. 
and we heard Nick on this very podcast say it was more chess than anything. Uh, no one really wanted to show all of their tricks, but the Australian defence last night was just impeccable. And that really gives me hope that we can go on and win this game. The good thing is we're now in a position where we will play for a medal either way. If we don't beat the States, we'll go into that bronze medal playoff. So, oh, you boys must be pretty excited. Yeah, mate, I cannot wait for that game. I've, I've watched every single game of the Boomers um, and it's just it's just been great. Watch, watch the team seemingly get better and better each time. Um, they've had a few, a few bit of an injury worries with Aaron Baines. Uh, not in the team anymore, which is a bit of a blow. But like you said, Jack, their defence is seemingly unstoppable at the moment. Um, I think that's really what they have to rely on. Nick Kay will have to have a big game against the USA because they do just have so much shooting power. Like um, Kevin Durant, in your side, that bloke can finish from anywhere. No matter how much pressure he's under, he can he can throw the ball down. So it's going to be big on the Australian defence to be able to stop that American attack. And then obviously we're going to need a big game from Paddy Mills to start the point score and get the offense rolling. And I reckon if we can scare the USA, if we can frustrate them, I think it'll go a long way to us winning the match. I don't think they'll be used to close matches. They'll, they'll expect to win this. And if we can put them under pressure, I think maybe a team that's come together with a bunch of superstars doesn't make a superstar team. No, big time. Gee, it would be a huge moment, uh, a huge moment. Well, sad to see the hockey ruse crash out. Um, first time they'd ever won all four of their pool matches, uh, matched up against the fourth place from pool A, which was India. We'd only ever burst them, uh, bet lost to them, I should say, four times in more than 40 games and crash out there. But the Australian men are really looking the goods going into a gold medal match. Haven't won gold since 2004. And we've got uh, Sweet Revenge from Germany, who knocked us out in 96. And Argentina, I believe, who also... Uh, the Netherlands, I should say, who knocked us out in Rio. Yeah, it was fantastic to see, was it? The Hockey Roos, they won in 96 and 2000, um, gold of the Olympics. Did they win in 90, 92 as well? Not sure, mate. I wasn't born then. You're the one who likes trivia <laughs> pre, pre-birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Keep keep chatting, lads. I'll just I'm check. pretty sure their last win was in Athens, though. So, look, that would be pretty huge for them, particularly because it's a team that hasn't played a European side. I think bar New Zealand, we hadn't played anyone in 18 months. So, it's been an awesome run. And I tell you what, I, I love watching hockey penalty shootouts. It's, it's a new guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a young side as well, isn't it? A lot of these, a lot of these players are Olympic debutants. There's obviously, there's a few people thrown in there, like, others who are who are just the you know the veteran of the side but largely a lot of these a lot of these players are new and they haven't played too much um hockey together so to see them coming together so well at the olympics is just great and a great sign for our our kookaburras team going forward you know if they can keep this team together this is just the start of what they can do three years in paris and then a home a home games at brisbane it could be could be a pretty famous run for our hockey roos team yeah, I just double checked that. The Hockey Roos won in 1988, 1996, and 2000. Um, in none of those years did they win all five of their pool matches. Um, yeah, they went on to win gold. And of course, this year, the Hockey Roos won all five of their pool matches and then unfortunately didn't do what actually mattered. But fantastic campaign, and they were great to watch. 
The females, yeah. And and look, it was a serious shock loss. Uh, they conceded in the second quarter and then unfortunately just they were really frazzled. It was very similar to the Matildas. And I know a lot of Australia was up late two nights ago watching the Matildas go by. The last 10 minutes of that first half, we were playing some incredible football, uh, getting it into their box with ease and really looking close to scoring. Um, a really unlucky goal we conceded. And then from then on, the girls just didn't seem to have the patience uh, to move the ball into the box. It was just cross after cross after cross. So it was quite hit and hopeful stuff and very similar with the uh, hockey as well. So um, an unfortunate way for them to go out. But look, they were still a very good team. We saw what they did in the pool stages, winning some good games. So they'll be thereabouts in Tokyo as well. Uh, in Paris, I should say. You've got, to, you've got to mention that no goal in the Matildas game. No. Uh, the Australian media and Bretton Speed, who I've interviewed before and really looked up to, has been so one-sided in his football commentary. It's really disgusted me, to be honest. The, uh, in, in soccer, it's a no-goal if both teams play, they score, and then a whistle goes. That's, that's disallowing a goal. But when a whistle goes and the defenders stop and the attackers continue playing on and score a goal... I can't, I can't call that a disallowed goal because you don't even know if she would have scored it if the whistle didn't go in the first it was on, It was on a set piece and Sam Kerr knocked it into the back of the net. Yes, but the whistle's blown and the two girls marking the two Australians stopped at the whistle. Kerr knocks it in the back of the net a good three seconds later after getting two paces ahead of a girl that stopped. So uh, I think the Australian media has hinged on a moment, which if the whistle didn't go, there's a very good chance she doesn't score. Look, I, I love the Matildas and think it was a great campaign, but uh, I, I was on Facebook after and I was a little bit disgusted by the amount of Australians and the amount of comments that were blowing up about the refereeing for this and that. Um, and I, th I think it was really led from the commentary, which was just too biased. Well, I think it was a goal. I think they were very hard done by. Um you know, at the end of the day, it was a set piece. There was a little bit of decoying going on, but I think you can't blame can't blame that on on Australia. And it should have been a goal, and that you know that would have let it one all. And I think Sweden were the better team at the end of the day. You know, they looked very good, but um, yeah, a bit unlucky for the Matildas there. I think I get what you're saying, and like I don't think there was a foul in it, but. Um... I think because of the reason she had the one-on-one -on -one was because the whistle blew. I think if, if it was just way play on the whole time, there's absolutely no guarantee Sam goal, uh, Kerr scores that goal. Yeah. I'm sure what we can all agree on, boys, is did you see the men's 400-metre hurdles final? Oh, the incredible run. Almost as just as quick as a 400 without hurdles. Exactly. Exactly. He became the first man ever to crack 46 seconds for the 40 uh, for the 40 for the 400 meter hurdles, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't only him in the race. It was also um, the three fastest times in history. Now all came in that race. It was fantastic. Um, brought um, the gold medalist, um, Carsten Warholm from Norway. He beat his own world record. Second place beat the previous world record too. And third place was only, um, two hundredths of a second off oh, sorry point two hundredths of a second off it, it was it was incredible and it's 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 being compared to put these in perspective it's being compared to um warhol's performance being compared to usain bolts in 2008 and 
David Radish's in 2012. It's been compared as one of the greatest performances on the track ever. It's incredible. It, I, you always feel for the guys who break a world record just to watch the guy next to them break it as well. <laughs> it's going to be rough. The guy who broke the world record as well needs to work on his celebrations. Tried to tried to rip his shirt open, but it wouldn't break. <laughs> it was very it was very lively. That is for sure. Uh, you can't blame him, can you? It's incredible how far um, sports performances come and high level sports performance. The amount of world records that have been broken, but then the amount of world records that have been absolutely smashed have been incredible. Yeah, no, it's been an incredible game so far. There's still so much more to come. Australia has been doing great, as you know, but we're sitting, sitting fourth in the medal tally at the moment, going by gold medals, at 14 gold medals. Um, you know, it's just a great performance by our Australian team so far um, and, you know, great to enjoy. But I think that's enough Olympics chat for now, boys. We've discussed plenty and there's still so much more to come. So why don't we move on to What's My Sport? What's My Sport? Got to love that singing voice, Jimmy. Um, I've got a little bit of music to go with mine today. So I'll roll straight off the back of your lovely singing voice and Give you boys hard act to follow. <laughs> it is a hard act to follow. <laughs> but anyway, I'll give you boys a crack straight away. What's my sport? Look at that height. Incredible start. Their coach says there is never a limit to perfection, but I think you're going to see perfection now. What's with the orchestra <laughs> orchestra music? A few violins in there, a cello. Really got you going, didn't it? <laughs> Just from the way she was speaking, it sounds like gymnastics. Do you want a specific discipline or are you just going to take gymnastics? I would like a specific discipline, yes. Okay. I'll have a crack and say the balance beam. Not the balance beam. A little bit too upbeat for the balance beam. <laughs> Is it the floor routine? It's not the floor routine because it's not gymnastics. Oh. <laughs> that was the artistic swimming. Ah, oh, right. Uh, the synchronised swimming. Water gymnastics. <laughs> right, uh, well, tricked us there, Jack. Uh, Sorry, it's too good to refuse. <laughs> Righty, well, moving right along, let's see if you can pick up what I've got here. But this has got a sort of extra dimension. If he just sort of floats in the air see what he does here yes has to screw himself in a little ball behind to get over but he does really really well um i'm pretty confident on this one i'm gonna go the show jumping in the equestrian it's a good thing you were confident because you're spot on there jack that was some random italian competing in the tokyo olympics last night but it was indeed equestrian so well done there jack what gave it away uh, the fact that my partners made me watch almost every run of the show jumping the last <laughs> couple of days. Uh, while we're on it, though, Andrew Hoy, an absolute legend, adding a silver and a bronze to his tally. Um, that was awesome to see. But, yeah, watched a fair bit of equestrian this week, Jimmy. At the ripe old age of 62 as well, and he's shooting for Brisbane. But you could be doing the commentary for us next time, mate, with all your equestrian knowledge. And this is his eighth Olympic Games. Incredible. You, you wouldn't, at this stage, you'd back him for Brisbane, wouldn't you? He, he continues to 
prove us wrong. Oh, so, no, sorry. That, that would be his 10th Olympic Games after Paris. 11th, actually, after the 2028 ones too. But anyway, um, all right, boys, are you ready for uh, what's caught my, for my, what's my sport? I certainly am. Yeah, I'm just wrapping my head around how your math is so shit then. But when there's a trivia point on the line, you can add up much more difficult equations much quicker. <laughs> <laughs> I made a meal of that. All righty, boys, what's my sport? I love the way he psychs himself up. He's ready to go on Olympic debut. The former American footballer, who was footballer for most of his childhood, turned to athletics at age 15. That was just 12 years ago. Gacy, you've been throwing up a couple of gifts, mate. It's, it's been Christmas in July listening to yours with a <laughs> little bit of slip of athletics narrows the field quite significantly. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of events in athletics though, mate. Aside, aside from them saying athletics, there's not too much to give it away other than the background on whoever this is. Well, he's played American football. Um and the, I, I thought I heard a couple of clicks, but it sounded like it was an individual event. So I'm trying to... You just, you just got to think about the competitors in the athletics in Tokyo who have come from American football. <laughs> uh, running, running stands out to me, but I, I feel as if he'd singled him out too much for it to be a running event. So... They go through athlete one by one on the start line of the 100 and 200 and whatnot. I'm thinking NFL, maybe he was a quarterback. Maybe it's Javelin. Oh, I don't mind that. I was, I was sneakily probably thinking the J word too. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you didn't say it because it's not Javelin. <laughs> okay. Um, long jump. You are correct. Hey. Well done there, mate. Bingo. It, it wasn't the fellow that uh, qualified for the both the high jump and the long jump, was he? No, this wasn't at the Tokyo uh, Games. I, I think this was in Rio. No, fair enough. I'll tell you what, that was quite the effort from the American. I, I don't think he went too well in either, uh, but um, must have some pretty good jumping legs. Yeah, well, we didn't do too well in that one either. Well, I didn't do too well. Jack did all right, but... Uh, not the best performance for what's my sport, but we'll move on to rugby league now. Um, it is approaching the pointy end of the season. It's getting very tense. Uh, Jack is very happy with some of the results last week. Some off, one off. Uh, <laughs> well, firstly, um, it, and it was probably the scale was probably watered down because the Olympics was on, but how huge was it that the rugby league was just shut at you know mm. the eleventh hour? Uh, it was really scary for the rest of the round. If we couldn't get that round through with three teams already played, um, it would have been an organisational nightmare. So I was just so relieved to see that uh, Vlandis could work his magic once again and get the games on. And then I'll tell you what, Newcastle. Uh, we had an argument last week, Jimmy. As I said, you know, keep an eye on Newcastle now. Very easy running. Um, and should come into form uh, a great start by the boys. Now on the same amount of points, I think there's now five teams on 18 points. The top two of those teams are sitting in the eight. So it's it's bloody tight, um, but it's really exciting now. Uh, if your team is in the running, and I know that two of the three of us are in that boat. 
Yeah, it was. And, and it goes beyond those teams you've mentioned, Jack. I think there are eight clubs who are still mathematically a chance to um, move into either seventh or eighth. Um, it's it's definitely heating up. And why don't why don't we start there, boys? Seventh and eighth um, at the moment. Titans and Sharks are in there, but that that's not, by no means locked up. Manly had their run has put them into sixth place and has probably guaranteed them sixth place. Um, you know, pending a dramatic fall at the, in these next four weeks. But who makes those final two spots? We've got the Titans, Sharks, Raiders, Dragons, Knights, all on 18 points. Um, and then the Warriors, Tigers, I think mathematically they could sneak in. Um, Cowboys. But who do you think? you got two spots. Call it now, boys. Um, I'm giving one to Newcastle. Uh, a little bit biased, but Pierce to return. And for me, again, it's it's more the run home than anything else. Um, we don't play any of the teams in the top six now. Um, Broncos twice. So, look, that, that puts Newcastle, for me, right up there. I think they're only paying $2.15 to make the eight now. And then for me, it's probably one of the Titans or the Raiders, depending on their run homes. Jimmy, what do the Raiders look like? It's a it's a bit of a tough run home. I mean, we've got the Dragons this week, which for both those clubs, I think it's close to a grand final. Um, you know, they're two of the teams playing each other, vying for this last spot. Whoever loses, that's a big knockdown. So, um, you know, there's plenty on the line for those those two teams this week. Um, but Tough run. I've just looked at it. Then Melbourne, then Manly, then New Zealand, then the Roosters. So that is quite a tough run. That is a very Raiders. tough. That's, that's very tough. It is a tough run. But games against the Dragons and the Warriors, two teams that are in this little log jam, if they can win both of those, you know, that stops them, those two teams from going going up also and you know the Panthers and Manly will be hard to stop but I think the Roosters Roosters aren't unbeatable at the moment they're they're a bit weakened um and you know form form can do a lot of things we've seen with with Manly but I think the Raiders for me I think we can sneak into eighth place I think we can just get in there um it's obviously very tight at the moment but I think there's three teams. I think it's come down to the the Titans, Raiders, and the Knights. I don't think the Sharks will be able to do it with their injuries. Sean Johnson out. That's a massive blow for them. The Sharks um, have. I'm having a look though. The Sharks have a pretty easy run home. The only tough team they play is in round 25 in the last round, and that's Storm. And it, that could well be a rested Storm lineup. There's yeah. every chance that's a Storm lineup without nine of their superstars. If last year's final round is anything to go by. So over the last five games, the Sharks have the Warriors, the Knights, so two winnable games. The Tigers, they should win that. Um, then the Broncos, and then they have Melbourne. Yeah, i tell you what, though. You wouldn't be confident tipping the Sharks every time. I mean... Only they... a few weeks ago, the Sharks lost to the Raiders, which is, yeah. you know, the, the bar at the moment for what you need to be beating. And then I think they beat the Bulldogs, which isn't saying much. But then, you know, last round they got towed up by Manly. Well, Tom Chabrovich alone in the second half. So I don't think there's much there to say the Sharks can do it. 
Well, it sounds like we all agree that, you know, they're the clubs, they're or thereabouts. Interested to get your opinions on this one. Matty Johns last night raised a question, which I think a lot of rugby league fans have been wondering, which is, will Parramatta consider a change at the top? I mean, if you look at their lineup, one to 17, it's one of the best teams on paper. And it has been one of the best teams on paper for uh, probably the last four years now, since they had that signing spree of Madison, Regan Campbell, Gillard, uh, and picked up a young Dylan Browns. Uh, so, Matty John said Wayne Bennett is the guy that can take a club from a top four to a genuine premiership contender and premiership. They should be looking at that. What do you guys think? If you're if you're a Parramatta Eels fan with the lineup you have, are you calling for Brad Arthur's head if you bow out um, pretty embarrassingly this final series? Yeah, well, I don't think it's the worst idea. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that pops straight into my mind is Anthony Griffin and Ivan Cleary at the Panthers. You know, Anthony Griffin had um, the Panthers sitting in second spot or fourth spot or something when he oh, was... They were in the top four, I know that. Yeah. So they were, they were humming along, same as Eels now. But they sacked him, brought in Ivan Cleary, and now Ivan Cleary has turned them into a genuine premiership contender. There is a different difference in coaches, like coaches who are there to build a roster, build a team, and then there are coaches who go to win the comp. Um, so, you know, I think there is definitely merit in it. And he, I think he's been there since 2014. That's a long time. They haven't, they haven't won a comp in that time. If you go off wins, he's got them going along well now, but he's had a, he's had a decent chance. I think it, it could be time to move on and just mix things up for Parramatta. It's a long time with a good roster. I mean, if they've been there since 2014, I think in 2016, they um, were passed away from beating Melbourne in Melbourne in the second week of the finals. Um, then the next year they wouldn't spoon and they bounce back to final. So, um, you know, that they've had a, a team uh, that can win the competition for almost all seven of those years. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And like, they've been there, they've been at the top, they've been in finals, but they just haven't had that killer instinct. So maybe, maybe it is something to do with the coaching at the, at the top. You know, maybe they just need someone that's got something different that can make them go longer in the season that can bring them a premiership. It might be time for a bit of a change. At, at, uh, yeah, I'm with you there, Jimmy. Well, last question for both of you. Uh, will Joseph Manu go to the Warriors? Should he go to the Warriors? They've got Reese Walsh. Joseph Manu wants to play fullback, I think. Um, you know, they've just invested in Reese Walsh at the Warriors. Um, I think he deserves time to build in the fullback role rather than throw big money at Joey Manu, who wants to play fullback. And then he's not going to play it at the Roosters. He's not going to play it at most other clubs. Um, he could definitely play fullback positions. at a lot of other clubs. Yeah, it's one of those things that a lot of clubs have good fullbacks. Um, there's halves positions up for grabs at the Warriors. Uh, to me, Reese Walsh could still be a fantastic. A lot of clubs six. A lot of clubs Joseph have. Manu plays six. A lot of clubs have good fullbacks, but not as good as Joey Manu. No, yeah, but what about, what about the what about the Raiders? He could go there and play fullback. Exactly. I don't, I don't think all these other clubs are in a position to throw you know close to a million dollars at him. And I, I think. 
the reason why the Warriors would pay overs with someone like Joseph Manu is because he's a New Zealander. And I think for growing the brand of rugby league, we've seen it with Roger Tuivasa, Shep, Torhu, Harris. Uh, for growing the brand in New Zealand, it's handy to have marquee New Zealanders playing for your team. So I think that's why he may be offered a more lucrative sum of money than it would be by one of these other clubs that may need a fullback. Is there a possibility that he could um, that he could go to the Warriors and play five eight? You know, Absolutely. Be, be on Absolutely. be on um, be on five eight money. Like you talk about fullback money, that's bigger than centre money and wing money. Um, the same goes for playing in the halves. That's that's a big deal. Obviously, the Warriors have wrapped up Sean Johnson for next year. They're to, they're toing and froing as to whether to partner Sean Johnson with um, Chanel Tavita Harris or Cody Nikarima. Well, they could get Joey. You'd rather Joey Manu at 5'8 over those two. Definitely. Particularly with someone like Sean Johnson, who's, you know, um, such an experienced player who could really control the team. Look, the other two names he threw up there, both good players, but both probably, you wouldn't say have cemented their spot in that starting lineup for the remainder of their contracts. Um, they've both been chopped and changed a bit this year. They've both had a couple of injuries this year. I think Joseph Marnie, I think, as I said, with that New Zealand thing, I think he's a huge fit for them. Um, and, yeah, give Reese Walsh the fullback to start with. But um, I still think Reese Walsh could be so valuable in the halves if it isn't Joseph Marnie. So, I mean, Joseph Marnie's played at six for the Roosters this year. There was talk of maybe even having him partner Walker for the run home. They've opted against it and now used him in a more versatile role, similar what we saw Tommy Turbo play in the origin. So he's a player that can play across the park. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting one. I think it will, uh, it'll be the big transfer news either way come off season. His, oh, his versatility is incredible, isn't it? It reminds me of, he's a bit like um, Elliot Whitehead in that, you know, obviously Whitehead plays different positions, but he can just cover so many different positions in the 13. That's a very interesting comparison, that one. But, yeah, you're right. Joey Manu, Elliot Whitehead. I don't know if they've ever been said in the same sentence. It's hard from the 2019 grand final. But, <laughs> but anyway, I think it's time to move on now. We've chatted plenty of plenty of AFL. We've gone way over budget here. So Plenty of NRL. So, oh, we'll just cut of... into AFL time. It's the fast two today, Zachary. <laughs> 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 that sounds good to me. Knock down his contract a bit. All right, I'll pull up a stopwatch. I'll leave it at four minutes, but you're not getting the 420 allocation today. <laughs> I thought it was four minutes and 15 seconds, wasn't it? Uh, look, we'll, um, we'll hook into it and see how we go. Buddy, I've got the first question. Jack, how are you doing? Good to go, mate. What are your thoughts on Alistair Clarkson ditching their handover plan? Well, the first thing I'll say is kudos to Carolyn Wilson. She, um, she did as as she, um, as is always the case. If she's um, she has a scoop, she'll back it to the hills, and she won't back down. Um, she came out for several weeks in a row on uh, Footy Classified, saying that this um, coaching handover plan, succession plan between Alistair Clarkson and Sam Mitchell isn't working. They had a mediation session recently and um, and figures from Hawthorne walked away from that with a genuine sense that Sam Mitchell didn't want Alistair Clarkson by his side in 2022. 
that he that he wanted clean air. Um, and she was getting slandered. She was saying, well, if, if you're going to talk about your sources, tell us about your sources. And um, you've been wrong in the past. How, you know, Hawth, Jeff Kennett, even Alistair Clarkson, Sam Mitchell, they're saying, no, 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 all these reports are wrong. We're working harmoniously. Next minute, um, last week, bombshell drops at Hawthorne and Alistair Clarkson, he wants out. He doesn't want to be there in 2022. Um, extraordinary. Um, that's, there's, it's definitely a little bit disappointing. I mean, Alistair Clarkson is the greatest modern day coach. He won flags with Hawthorne in 2008, 2013, 14, 15, and eventually, uh, essentially he's been booted out the door. So um, you'd think someone of his standing should deserve a much better uh, farewell than that. Always sad to see. Reminded me of what happened at Leicester City with their premiership winning coach. Uh, an- another struggle in the AFL at the moment, though, Gates is Brisbane. What do you make of that? Yeah, they have been struggling. And um, the coach, Chris Fagan, I saw, gave his uh, troops an absolute pasting uh, during one of the breaks um, on the weekend during their loss to Hawthorne. Um, that, they were getting flogged by about 60 or 70 points. Uh, in the end, only lost by 12. But at the end of the day, um, for a team that's that was touted as finishing in the top four this year, um, they they shouldn't be losing to Hawthorne, who's going to finish in the bottom four. Um they have been struggling. They've dropped out of the top eight, uh, the top six now. They've sorry, the top four. They've dropped down to six. The Brisbane Lions. They're on forty-eight points. Um, one win, no, not one win. They're, they're they're one win behind the Swans, who are in fifth. And yeah, they've been in sketchy form. They've only won one of their last four. They've lost to St Kilda. Um, even you know. Well, they've they've lost to Richmond, who have who a shell of their former selves. They've dropped off. Um, they've lost to Hawthorne. They've only managed to beat the Gold Coast in the, in the last month. So, um, concerning signs, but look, um, yeah, they they've got it. They've got a star-studded roster, and they um, they had finals experience last year, and they've got a a good coach in Chris Fagan. So, I wouldn't write them off just yet. Well, who are you going to write off in this game, mate? Essendon v the Dogs. Well, the Swans will, of course, um, Essendon, Essendon v the Dogs. I, th- I think we're skipping ahead, aren't we? Who is it? Es- Essendon v the Dogs. Um, Essendon v the Dogs, mate. Just answer the question. <laughs> the Dogs will, of course, head into this one as favourites. They're sitting on the top of the ladder, whereas Essendon down in 10th. But look, Essendon have a lot to play with. They're only one win outside the top eight. Um, and they, they've shown some brilliant glimpses this year. They've got some really good young players coming through and some of their senior players are, are thriving. Um, but it's, it's a big, it, you'd be a brave man, I think, to back the Bombers. I'll go the Dogs. Oh, Gatesy, a bit like your what caught my eye in the Australian long-distance runner. Absolute shambles in the middle there. You lost your marbles, <laughs> but you picked yourself up and you got yourself to the bus. So well done, mate. Thank you very much, mate. Didn't want to miss the bus. <laughs> absolute pasting. I've never heard of that word used before in that context. I absolutely love it. I'm going to sneak it into one of my reports this week. Well, the Aussies are copped to pasting from the Bangladeshians, haven't they? Oh, how embarrassing. Um, Hazelwood, three wickets, um, you know, set up a 130-run run chase, I think it was, and 
again. Um, and our batting has just been absolutely woeful, almost as bad as Jimmy's trivia questions. <laughs> you boys are just bad at trivia. <laughs> yeah, look, um, you're giving when, us an absolute pasting at the moment, mate. <laughs> when, did, when did golf join the Olympics? <laughs> oh, 1900, man. I'll never forget that now. No, it was 1908, mate. Uh, <laughs> yep, <yeah>, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> we love to hear that sound, don't we, ladies and gentlemen? Jack, James, let's hook into it. It's trivia time. Jack, give us a score update, mate. Ken Gates, you and I are locked in a battle and have been for a couple of weeks now. We're both on 16, which is three points behind Jimmy on 19. Good little buffer. It is a good little buffer, actually, Jimmy. This will be close to one of the biggest leads we've seen in trivia, so hopefully it doesn't extend today. Well, let's see. But how about I kick us off first this time? Oh, yeah. Get my questions out of the way out of the, after the heat I've copped in previous episodes. I just want to precursor these questions that if you have a complaint, don't direct that to me, direct that to the beers you drink. Both of these have come from bottle tops. So if you don't know the end of your complaint about the question, drink a real beer. Olympic bottle tops or have our studies just gone out the window? <laughs> no, they are Olympic bottle tops. So. Look at you go. Alrighty, listening up. What years did New Zealand finish above Australia in the medal tally? Sorry, you cut it. You cut in and out there. What years did New Zealand finish above Australia in the medal tally? That's that's a stupid question, isn't it? <laughs> More generous sporting knowledge there. They talk about this all the time, don't they, Gatsy? Never heard of it. <laughs> Look, drink a beer then. Stop drinking your, your lime beers and your ciders. These are all over bottle caps at the moment. I've had yeah. this one. I've had this one three times. Uh, Jack, uh, I can't see it happening um, since 2000, since the birth of the AIS. So I'm going to go 88. So, so... You only, you only want one of the games, is that, is that right, Coman? Well, look, there's two, if you can get one of them. If, if we can get one of them, okay. New Zealand had a really good middle distance runner called Peter Snell. Um, My second year is 92. <laughs> <laughs> In the 60s, I'll, I'll say 64, Tokyo. What about your second one? No, we, we only have to guess one. All right. Oh, yeah. no, it's all. No, I'll say, I'll say 76, Montreal. Well, lucky you did the second one there. Look at me being generous because you've just got a point. Oh, yes. It was 76 and 84. Oh. Two years New Zealand finished above Australia on the medal tally. 84 in Los Angeles. All right, on to the second. Who was the first Australian to break the 10-second barrier in the 100-metre sprint? Zach. Yeah. Zach first. Patrick Johnson. There you go. Two for two, Zachary. 2003, the year of the Panther. <laughs> Very he's, actually, good. he's actually the only Australian to about broken the 10-second barrier. Yeah, and he still holds the Oceania record at the moment. Mm. So, 
Nah, good running. question, that one. That was a much better question, Mr. Geography. I'll go next. <laughs> All right. Can you name two events where we've won a medal which doesn't involve water? In Tokyo? In Tokyo. Zach? I'm in. I got Gainty. Five, four, Okay, three, I'll say BMX. Two. And I will out. say... Oh. You're out. It, it was <laughs> you, one of these... To be fair, it's one, of these, it's one of these ones where you work it out pretty quickly. So if you said your name and then spent Dude, 20 seconds working it out. put the pressure on there. <laughs> Don't say your name unless you know them. <laughs> How about how about that BMX rider Jimmy? though? Logan from Logan. BMX and pole vault. Did we win a pole vault medal? Oh, you're talking about this games? No, we oh, didn't win mate. a pole vault medal. Mate, we had already distinguished <laughs> oh, that. I thought we were just talking about games in general. No. It could have been oh. in years. <laughs> um, uh, how how that hasn't gone off is beyond me. Um eventing could have been one, Andrew Hoy. Um, I, I had eventing and BMX, and I'm certain it's one more. Um, but yeah, Gatesy, I've been meaning to do that for a couple of weeks now. Your tactic of saying your name just so you get in on the other person and then take 20 seconds to work it out. Not flying today. <laughs> you you pounced on that one. I gave you five seconds plus the 15 to say your name. Anyway, we'll move on. Which country was accused of stealing Australia's two Olympic village mascots? Again, at the Tokyo Games. I didn't even hear about this. I don't know. I heard about the antics of um, of the Australians in the village running amok, like James Coleman at uni. <laughs> yeah, it was in the same report, which I was absolutely appalled with. Uh, Channel 7 came out with a story. And they just seemed so salty because they're trying to, you know, hype up that Australia's behaviour has been terrible. And it was in three times I mentioned that they didn't show up to their interviews with Sunrise. It just seemed like a, a salty station using their powers to make them look bad because they didn't rock up to an interview. It was in that story. It, we had a, a kangaroo and an emu. They've both been at the Australian village. They went missing for four days. They have a pun of the country. Okay, mate, I'll say one of the countries was England. England? It wasn't England. I was thinking, well, Great Britain. Yeah, I was going to say, it would have been hard <laughs> to be England. <laughs> um, That's a debate for another time. Should they be able to chuck four countries together and team up? Still can't beat us. I would say the USA. USA, it was Germany. Oh. There you go. I had no idea of that one. I didn't even hear about that. No. A bit like me in the two games where New Zealand beat Australia. Wait, you, you just had to pick an Olympics and have a shot. You got close. Oh, well. Radio, Gatesy, round us out with your running questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, my first one is actually cricket related. Okay, of course. Um, Trevor Holmes resigned from his post as chairman of selectors, um, Australia's chairman of cricket, chairman of selectors last week. Okay. Um, who was the fast bowler who he tipped, who he uh, brought in to make his test debut in Bell Reeve in the 16-17 summer? He just played one test match. 
Who was the fast bowler? One test match, um, Jack. It was, it was it was for that it was it was for that debacle in Bell Reeve where the Aussies lost by an innings and eighty runs and this this guy, this fast bowler didn't play again. Um I, I'm just trying to think of a fast bowler around that time he played one game, so I'm gonna say the Duke Hastings. No. I have no idea. Only played one test match. Um, Same test match that uh, Callum Ferguson debuted and never played again. Oh. I don't know. I can't think of one. The name I'm looking for is Joe Many. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I thought I thought I'd link that one with uh, Trevor Holmes, long-time selector, hanging up his clipboard. Yeah, it's a real, real sad end to the uh, to careers of Sean and Mitch Marsh too, unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> yes, that's right. And um, all right, secondly, boys, give me the name of the Jamaican sprinter who's just completed the double double. So the one hundred and two hundred in Rio and Tokyo. The woman, she's the new queen of female sprinting. Um, Jack Thompson Hurrah You've Hurrah. got it mate yeah. Elaine yeah. Thompson Hurrah <laughs> Taken over from a country woman Shelly Ann Fraser Price is the queen of the sprinting world You beauty Needed that so Give us a score update big fella Okay, I'm, I'm on the bottom of the table here on 17. You're on 18, Jimmy on 19. That's nice and tight, fellas. Tightened up again. We're nipping, on, we're nipping at each other's heels. No, it is. That, that was a good round all, all in all, bar Jimmy's New Zealand question. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that question went off. Geez, you love complaining. <laughs> nah, it, look, at, just... look at you sitting down the bottom of the table. Oh, guys, these questions are too hard. I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut from now on. <laughs> I, I will say, though, fellas, um, yesterday uh, I was watching the hockey and none other than Bundy got a mention at the Olympic Games. I was very proud of that. thought I'd let you guys know about it. Congratulations, mate. <laughs> right, yeah, well, we better move on. Uh, our three things this week. I'll go first. My sure thing is for the Kookaburras to win the gold medal. Um, as we went through a bit of their history, I, we don't think it's happened since Athens. Um, been on fire, so they're my sure thing. My pressure cooker is Mitchell Moses and Nathan Cleary. Uh, both players are coming back into genuine premiership contending teams, which have been rubbish without them, and they'll both need to hit the ground running, especially to Mitch Moses, who will basically be asked to single-handedly turn around the abysmal form of his team uh, since he's been gone. And similar for Nathan Cleary, probably not as big a task and as big an expectation to single-handedly turn around the form, but a lot of pressure on both of those players. My one to watch is the closing ceremony. It can't be any less entertaining than the opening ceremony, but in particular, Kate Campbell 
is one of the only members of the Australian swimming team that didn't fly out of Tokyo two nights ago, uh, starting a lot of speculation that she will be given a role in the ceremony. Yeah, well, wouldn't that be great to see? Uh, definitely deserves it. She's one of the greats of our swimming team uh, and uh, of all time. But my sure bet this week, um, I said last week it was the Boomers to finish on top of their group. They did that, so I'm doubling down on the Boomers, and I'm saying the Boomers to grab a medal. What colour, I don't know, but I think they're going to beat the USA and get into a medal playoff. Pressure cooker. Um, I've got the kookaburras. Um, like Jack said, they're undefeated at the moment. And that puts a target on their back, and they're going to know that. Um, so coming into these finals matches, um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to perform as they come in as probably the red hot team. You know, they're going to know, they're going to have, have close eyes on them, and they'll probably be feeling the pressure. One to watch um, again: the Kookaburras on Thursday night, 8 p.m. They're taking on Belgium for the gold medal. Absolutely massive. Um, so make sure your eyes are glued to the TV for that one and hopefully watching us win another gold medal. Yeah, no, that'd be absolutely brilliant. Wouldn't it, boys? Wouldn't it be, boys? Uh, my sure bet is Sifa Hassan. Mentioned her earlier from the Netherlands, uh, the middle distance, long distance runner, to complete the treble, to, to become the first woman ever to do so, win the 1,500, 5,000 and 10,000 in Tokyo. It's an audacious bid. So far, she's ticked one of the boxes. She won the 5,000 metres. Can she do it? I'm backing her. She is a gun. Um, in the pressure cooker, I've got World Athletics um, because it's got to be said, one of the reasons why we've seen such blistering times on the track so far in Tokyo is because of the super spikes. Um, it's really the latest uh, controversy surrounding technology, um, technology behind running shoes. Okay. Are, are World Athletics going to crack down on it? And my one to watch is Australia's 1,500-metre stars. Um, in the men's 1,500-metre semi-final, uh, semi-final heats, we've got Oliver Hall and Stewie McSwain. And in the women's, we have Lyndon Hall and Jessica Hull. Look out for them. Your beauty will do. And uh, what an exciting couple of days going uh, coming up. As we said, the Kookaburras, we've got the Boomers. We've got our two volleyballers, uh, Talakai Clancy and one whose name is probably a little bit too hard to attempt uh, and a couple of uh, really good running prospects as well and uh, of course bowl tonight in the 800 so enjoy the remainder of the olympics enjoy the run home into the final but most importantly keep your eye on the ball because you never know when another crowd catch may just come to your bye hooroo